help the river run. My daughter used to be on a, a soccer team uh, whose name was River Plate. Um, you know, it's kind of like named after the Argentine team. And I used to annoy her by like shouting at the sidelines, let that river flow! <laughs> and um, of course that elicited very sour glances, you know. So let's, let, let's get this river flowing, shall we? Come on. Let's let the river flow. Let's make the river run. Um, so most of you know who I am. My name's Peter. I'm like a general nuisance around the river. Um, I do a bit of everything. Jack of all trades, master of none, you could say. Um, I head up the prayer team, uh, which is the well-trained, dynamic group of people who pray for big things in your life every week. You'll get some of that later. I also help out on the seat course, which is our introduction to, you know, faith. Like, what is it? I don't know what this is. Let me find out. Um, I help out on that. Um, and I also help out on our sort of 201 course, which is like the thing that brings people into being kind of members of the church. So I'm also a board member, okay? So a church board is set up like any, I guess, like a corporate board to help oversee the activities of the church, and so we sort of keep an eye on general direction, but also some of the nitty-gritty things like finances. And, um, and so that gives me a good vantage point. I'm like helping out on a Sunday, other times. I'm also on the board. I've been here for a while. It gives me a good vantage point to be able to give the talk I'm going to give today. Uh, when I tell you, when I lay out things, you know, kind of tell you how things are going here at the river on certain, certain ways. And it's not like... Like, how are we doing spiritually? That's not what I'm talking about today because we're doing great. Um, it's more like nitty-gritty stuff like finances and things like that. All to say, I'm not an official staff member. You're not hearing from somebody who's on staff. You're not hearing from somebody who's being paid, okay? You're hearing from somebody who just helps out a lot. I'm an enthusiastic congregant who loves the mission of the church. I also know probably a little bit more about what's going on, okay? That's my capacity for giving this talk. So... How many of you have had uh, friends who have, you know, worked in New York and then gone out to the West Coast for a new job and moved their lives out there? Has that happened to you? Yeah. Um, you know, and there's always a lot of movement between both coasts. There always has been. In the 21 years I've been in New York, I've seen that happen. But since the financial crisis in 2008, <clears throat> a lot of the economic power has shifted over to the West Coast. And people move there because there's sometimes better jobs over there. And um, two of good friends of mine uh, from, from where I used to work as a journalist um, moved over there, and I miss them a lot. Um, and Facebook doesn't really close the gap. And uh, I just used to like hanging out with them, and I can't anymore. And we here at the River have also felt this trend as well. People from the church have moved over from New York to California or Seattle or Washington for work, and it's... You know, we miss them, and I, I feel sorry for them in some ways because they have to live in the sort of soul-crushing suburbs of California. I mean, you know, <laughs> they don't get to live on the streets of New York, um, you know, like... <laughs> so I feel sorry for them in some ways, and, and um, but being serious for a second, I mean, one of the things we've heard from people who've made it out there to California or, or Washington is that they cannot find a church quite like the river. Okay, that's what, it's a kind of a, a, a refrain. That's kind of become a common thing that we've heard. 
They don't find a church that sort of replicates what we do here. Now, I'm not saying that we're so amazing that nobody else is doing what we're doing, you know, and please, that no one compares with that. That's absolutely not what I'm saying, okay? Do not hear that in this, okay? What these, what these people are actually saying, Kija, do you believe there's no one like us? Is that why you're laughing so much? Yeah. That there is no comparison? No. Um, what, they're, what they're saying is they have not found churches that have this sort of mix of approaches that we have here at the river. It's a mixture thing. And what is the combination they're talking about? Well, I think there are like three main ingredients to our church. First, we believe that God is alive and he's trying to deepen his connection with us and give us the abundant life that Jesus promised everybody. And, you know, it's a core belief of ours that we can live a connected life. We're connected to ourselves, to other people, to God. And you'll find a version of that in most churches, okay? So that's, that's not particularly unique. Secondly, we also believe that this, this life with Jesus, accessing God's goodness, also involves being able to tap into enormous spiritual resources that God offers us. So that means we have this powerful God, and we can go to him, and we can absolutely ask for encouragement, guidance, hope, perseverance. We can get through rough times. We can have comfort and love in our lives. You know, God's power can do that. And we can also pray for really big things to happen. Like, we, we don't hold back. This prayer team thing, they're, in a, they're an ambitious bunch. When you go to them, they'll pray big. They will not hold back. They'll pray for the whole problem to be cleared up. They'll pray for the whole sickness to go. They'll do all of that with gusto, and they'll enjoy doing it. Um, And so that's a big part of our culture. And again, you might find some churches doing something similar to that. So you have those two things going on. But there's a sort of third thing that I would want to throw into the mix that I think makes us distinctive. And I I don't think it's particularly radical at all. I mean, it comes directly from the teachings of Jesus. In fact, it involves Jesus. And you can sum up the approach, this approach like this. We all have the same access to Jesus' promise of the abundant life. Okay? I'm going to say it again, putting the emphasis on the second word in the sentence because it's important. We all have the same access to Jesus' promise of the abundant life. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's say we have these big personal arrows on our, on our life, on our heads or whatever, okay? And whatever that arrow is pointing at is the thing that we're sort of most excited about and pursuing in life. And Jesus' teaching is that anybody who just turns their arrow towards him is going to be in the best place possible, okay? That is life itself. That's the abundant life. It is turning your arrow and... And it is moving towards Jesus. That he teaches that's where you need that's where you'll have the best time. You'll you'll have the ability to to access God's limitless goodness when you do that. And in practice that can be quite a simple thing. It can mean, you know, getting up in the morning and asking Jesus how, you know, things might happen in your day-to-day and how you can respond to certain things. You can pray for good things to happen in your life and other people's lives, and you can do things to help other people. And you you might say, well, don't all churches want to, you know, do that sort of thing? And I'd say, yeah, mostly they, you know, they kind of do most of the time. But often what happens is that they insert conditions into the deal eventually, okay? So let's say that you're loving your life, you know, following Jesus, you're just having a great time doing it, and you want to do something else at church to help other people access God's goodness, and you start to look into it, and you get excited about some ministry, maybe you want to lead that ministry, and so you go speak to a leader, and the person says, well, sorry, you're a woman, and women aren't aren't allowed to, to lead in our denomination. 
That's the sort of like conditionality that I'm talking about. Um, it's sort of inserted sort of into the deal. You might be um, gay and your sexuality in many churches will disqualify you from certain things. And that's the conditionality I'm talking about. And so what you end up happening, what you have end up happening is a situation where you have people who are just enthusiastic about following Jesus. They just love the idea of pursuing God's goodness and helping other people get more of it. And they just want that to happen in their lives. And then there's this obstacle. And we at the river are like, you don't need the obstacle. It doesn't have to be there. You can just take it out and just let people continue accessing Jesus' love and see what happens, right? And that's kind of like the distinctive part of our mission that probably, you know, makes us distinctive in some ways because we believe that anybody who puts Jesus at the center of their lives and gets serious about it and isn't seriously harming somebody else can come and just do stuff in our church and hopefully thrive, right? That's what we believe in. And that sort of accessible, open approach, we hope, kind of colors and influences everything we do. You know, it, that's kind of how we, we operate. And we feel that whole approach reflects the new covenant. You know, it comes from the Bible. And Charles talked very powerfully last week about the new covenant. It was a real wake-up call for lots of us. And the new covenant is basically this offer that God has made to all people, okay, all people. It's so clear when you read about the new covenant that it's for all people saying we can all receive him. And it just emphasizes the openness of the kingdom of God. And the Apostle Paul was a leading early Christian, um, and he would get really upset when people would add these conditions to the new covenant faith. And one of the awful, absolutely horrifying conditions that people at that time tried to add to the new covenant faith was that if you were not Jewish, you'd have to be circumcised, which is like, what? I mean, can you imagine hearing that? A guy my age? You know, if you want to follow Jesus, you got to get the snip. And it's like, no. And Paul got really angry about that. He said this. He says, circumcision is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. I love that line. It's meaningless. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Okay, that's kind of the motto of the river, which you're free to have tattooed across your chest, maybe, or, you know, on your arm. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, okay? <laughs> beautiful, plain as can be, but also beautiful and powerful. I love that. But what's missing in what I've said about the river? What have, what have I left out? What's the snag here? What's the kind of thing that we need to be thinking about as we have all these big dreams and this passionate vision and mission that we have? And it's this. Building a church, an open church that you love, does not just happen on its own, okay? It requires time, effort, money. Jesus does not conjure church activities into existence. He didn't wave a magic wand over here and a worship band sort of sprung into existence. Our ministries don't hum because we just have this general blessing over our church. You know, our rent is not paid just mysteriously, you know, by the Holy Spirit. Um, that doesn't happen. It's us, the congregants, the members, have a big part to play um, in building this church and making it go, uh, making it operate. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes donations. And as a board member, I can say that the church leaders are deeply grateful for all that effort and all that giving. So. 
there's a big thank you over all of that. And it has made our church what it is today. It's taken us a very long way. We've been able to do amazing things. But it also makes sense sometimes to stop and recognize just how reliant this whole enterprise is on people volunteering and giving. And it's always been the case. Every church is like that. Even the first church, which had this amazing kind of turbocharged growth in the early days, it still was reliant on people volunteering and giving. And they recognized, even back then, that they had to put their back into the endeavor. They would have to dig deep, okay? And we can see that in this main Bible passage for today. It's from the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is just a great book to read every now and again because it gives you a history of the exploits and adventures and the teachings and the crazy things that the early church did. And this one often focuses on Paul, who we've already heard about in the context of the New New Covenant. And he would go around the region talking about Jesus and teaching and helping to set up churches and living with people and helping them know the New Covenant. Anyway, Paul had very close ties to a city, uh, to a church in a city called Ephesus. And he got some prompting from God that told him, look, you need to go to Jerusalem now. But going to Jerusalem would put his life at risk. He could even die from it. He could go to prison. And so he thought, okay, I need to meet with these dear people that I have such a deep friendship with from Ephesus, these leaders from a church in Ephesus, just to say goodbye. And it's an emotional scene, okay? It's hard to sort of like read this because it's so deeply emotional, but I'm going to read it. Um, It's from Acts 20, and this is the last part of Paul's parting speech. Now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. It's a powerful scene, right? It really kind of puts chills down your spine, that one does. All this weeping and embracing and kissing and stuff like that. They really loved each other. But I also like this passage because it's grittily unsentimental. Grittily unsentimental. Because Paul reminds them that hard work played a big part in what they built at Ephesus. And giving did as well. He says this, I have not coveted anyone else's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we, all of us, must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so that part of Paul's farewell tells me a lot about Paul. It tells me that he was a searing teacher who could talk to us about the width, depth, you know, how big and how wide the love of God is. He could talk to us, you know, trenchantly about the new covenant and how we would absolutely need to do faith in that way because it would be the most fulfilling way to do faith. Paul himself would go and uh, risk life and limb for this new covenant faith. He did it with his own bare hands across different parts of of, of his region. But he he was also a realist. 
Paul was a brass tax realist. He knew what it took to get things built. And folks, the message for us from that passage is that we need to be realists as we try and build our new covenant church in New York City. Realists. We need to know what realities we bump up against as we try and build this endeavor together. And one of those realities is people helping out. You know, this, this thing works because people help out. And, and you guys do a lot. So thanks for all the hours that you put in. Thanks for, you know, showing up when you've had just a horrible work week. And you still show up. And it's great. That's fantastic. Thanks for showing up when the kids didn't sleep much last night. And you still show up and do, like, hospitality or something. And I hope that you kind of really enjoy that despite the fact that it can be tough sometimes and it can be tough, take away valuable hours from your weekend. We're really grateful for that. And during, I, like I said, I head up the prayer team and during training, I do a training for people where I give them a taste of the prayer team so they can decide whether they want to be on the team or not. And I try to make a, I try to be realistic at the end. I do this sort of reverse pitch at the end of the training and some of you have been through it. Um, it's kind of a semi-reverse pitch really, you'll see. So what I do is I tell people what happens on prayer team. We have a little demo, and they get a taste of it. And at the end, I say to them, okay, here's a warning. If you take up this job on prayer team, you're going to be praying in two services, and at the end of those two services, you're going to be exhausted, okay? Um, You will have been asked to pray for God to do some serious, no messing around, big things in people's lives, and you're going to feel spent. Okay, and then I add something that's even truer. I say to them, like, you'll be feeling that, but where else in your life can you get a concentrated opportunity like this to help people in their time of need? Where else can you offer something as tangible and powerful as God's love in the moment in someone's life. Where else? And so, yes, on that subway home, like I've felt many times, you'll be just sitting there like, you know, tired. But you'll also feel a special type of exhilaration that you won't get anywhere else. And you'll be praising God for all the work that he's given you to do. There'll be nothing like it. And I just think that same sort of satisfaction can be found in all church uh, activities. That same sense of actually seeing God's love at work, God's power at work, right in front of your eyes with the people that you're sort of ministering to. So please, think about volunteering in some way because you're definitely going to be able to tap into that. Another big challenge we face is financial. And I don't need to tell any of you that New York City is an eye-wateringly expensive place, right? I mean, it's horrible. And we've gotten very far on your donations, so thank you for those. You know, we can pay salaries to our leaders. We can rent office space, which we use for all sorts of meetings, which some of you have attended. We can rent this space here. Uh, We can actually give ourselves as a church. We give money um, ourselves as a church to things that we love, like Asha, which is that amazing group of people in India that have transformed the lives of so many slum dwellers in Delhi. And we also give to the... Blue Ocean Network, which is a group of churches um, in the United States that is very similar to our our church um, in terms of doing faith and the way that we do it with that distinctive mix. And I was just at a conference there, and it was just so great to hear all the other stuff that people are doing. 
And so we give to that. And we give to that because you're giving, and so thanks for your generosity. Um, but I think it's helpful to, for me to describe the state of the church's finances right now, just so that you can see them. I'm going to share some key numbers now. Right now, our costs exceed our donations, okay? So we have money coming in and we have money going out for operating costs, things that we need to spend on. So our costs exceed our revenue by around $80,000 per year, okay? So $80,000 deficit is what we have on a per annum basis. So how do we make ends meet? How do we get by? Well, we've had money in the bank, which we've tapped into, to cover that deficit. And right now, there is $110,000 in the bank to cover that deficit, okay? So we're okay, sort of, for now, but it's not the most comfortable place to be, okay? We're not like in a cliffhanger situation. We can move things around to sort of keep going and stuff like that. So don't, don't worry about the future of the church. It's absolutely not necessary in this situation. Um, and we're going to talk in a second about how we can close that gap. And some of you might be thinking, well, what about the building fund? Okay, this was money we raised like just over two years ago, I think. And it's a separate pool of money that totals about $2 million. And it's there, still left alone in the bank. It's specially earmarked for new buildings or a new building or a space for the church. Okay, that's what it's for. And we are actively looking for spaces. And the, the problem is, is that since we raised that money through your generosity, um, the real estate market in New York has sort of like kept rising in price, okay? So it's been harder than we thought to find suitable spaces within our budget. And we don't want to like do anything rash and go for the space that's not quite right and then regret it. So like last week something came up and we realized immediately that it wasn't going to work because so far from all the subways. So we're not going to make an unwise move. But we also feel that, you know, God has a wonderful habit of springing pleasant surprises on us and some great space may open up for us and we, could, we, we can all pray for that. That'd be something definite we could pray for. And, it, and it, while it might seem completely impossible, the real estate market in New York might cool one day. I don't know. But we're not going to wait for that to happen, obviously. <laughs> so, so what can we do to raise, increase our overall revenue? And I think praying is a great thing to do first and foremost. Make that part of your prayer time. You know, if you love the river, I think it's distinctive. Um, please pray for that. And I want to make an appeal to give more in a spiritually grounded way. And I want to go back to our passage and look at what Paul says. He says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I think it's so interesting that Paul used this farewell. It could be the last words he ever spoke to his friends in Ephesus, that giving was blessed. I mean, isn't that interesting? He quoted Jesus saying that giving was blessed. But what does it mean that, 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 that giving can feel like a blessing? I mean, for me, like, you know, as a journalist, I find, like, jargon words like blessing kind of annoying, and so I like to get inside them. And, um, and I think that blessing for us in, in this whole area of giving can mean two things. I think it means this, that when we give, we kind of forge this wonderful partnership with God. We become like co-investors with Jesus. When we give to the church, we know that we will be producing, that money will be producing amazing real-life returns for people in the church and, as, and outside as well. And in some senses, those spiritual returns, those real-life returns, are the most successful investments we'll ever make. Okay? 
we'll be like richer than Buffett if we make them, right? Because the, the, I don't know, the returns will be eternal and they'll be real life and they'll make lives better, you might be able to say. So that's sort of how you'd feel blessed giving. You can think of it as a investing with Jesus in some way. Uh, secondly, when something is blessed by God, in this, in this case giving, it just feels good. I mean, it will give us deep joy in our soul that bubbles up all the time and deepens our love for others. And we just sort of praise God that we got to do it. And there'd be this real spiritual uplift to it. And that's what I mean by something being blessed. So how could we, you know, what, how, what might more giving look like at the river and how can we help out with that? Um, and what might it do? Well, first off, it would be nice not to have that operating deficit, Okay. At the very least, it would be nice to have our regular monthly donations equal our costs, okay? It would feel wonderful, I think, for the staff to be able to see that their month-to-month revenue was equaling their month-to-month costs, okay? Like I said, we're not in a cliffhanger state right now. There's no kind of emergency going on, but it would feel really good to get rid of that $80,000 deficit, right? The other big financial focus is the building fund, and... The fact is, is if, if we give more to that fund, it will grow in size, and the bigger it is, we'll increase our chances of being able to find something that works for us, okay? We'll just have more flexibility and more choice, okay? So that's something else that we could think about giving to. But how can we sort of tie this to who we are and how we've done giving in the past? That's what I want to talk about now. And it's something that I would encourage us to think about over the next few weeks from now through Thanksgiving, through the end of the year, um, with the you know, Advent season upon us. Just, I would really encourage us to spend the next few weeks thinking about how we can give. And if we're thankful for the thing that we have here at the river with its distinctive mix of approaches and beliefs, um, you know, it's New Covenant faith, Think about whether or not you want to do more to fund that mission. Because it will increase the river's impact. It will. It will have an impact. And for different people, this, this, this conversation might mean different things. You know, perhaps you came to the river with no faith background. Maybe you did seek our introduction to um, faith uh, program. And you've never really understood what church giving is supposed to be. Never, we don't talk about it on seek. I mean, like... You know, it, you just don't know. You know, or you have some idea, but you're not clear. And I would just say, start giving on a regular basis, okay? Giving is blessed, Jesus said. You know, and Paul the Realist said, giving is necessary to build any church. So regularity can, be, can become part of your life, regular giving. Maybe you do give regularly, and you're listening to me, and you're thinking, well, well you know, what's, what's the guideline here at the river for giving? Is there, do you ever stipulate any hard amount? And we really don't say, you must give this amount or else. We don't do that, okay? But often people of faith have looked at passages in the Bible, and they've deduced that like t- around 10% of your income is a good place to be when it comes to giving. And I can tell you that if that happened um, you know, in this church, uh, that deficit would vanish, okay, that operating deficit, that would, okay, and maybe you're in a third group, which I would call the power giver, okay, maybe you've given way beyond 10% of your income in the past, and 
Thanks for that. Thanks for that generosity. Okay, that needs to be said. And I also need to say that you can be a power giver and give a relatively small amount of dollars. You know, Jesus is teaching on, you know, the widow with the two mites. She was a power giver. And if you have a low income, you can still be a power giver. You're a bigger power giver than somebody with tons of money. So I just want to get that out there. But, you know, if you're a power giver, maybe think about the building fund. Maybe think about, like, adding a little bit more to that so we can increase the opportunities out there for what we might be able to focus on. Is that good? Is that, is that clear? Okay. Now, I understand it can be awkward to talk about money, and, but it's sort of dysfunctional not to, right? I mean, you can be like, let's just never talk about it, but that would be wrong. And we don't talk about it that much, do we? And I like to talk about it, you know, in the way that Paul talks about it, which is let's make it feel blessed, okay? And the way I want to try and think about making it feel blessed is to finish up now with um, a practical activity that we could do regularly um, and it could also help us understand giving more deeply in our lives. Now, recently, we've been talking a lot at the river about an activity called the examine, okay? E-X-A-M-E-N. It's not an examination. It's an examine, okay? It's supposed to be a nice thing, okay? (laughs) And it's a practice that comes from the Catholic Church and it's a wonderfully powerful very easy thing to do and what you do is like at some point in your day um, usually at the end of the day you think about one thing in your day that made you feel good consolation and one thing that made you feel kind of dragged down that sort of held you back that's desolation and then you pray to God about the feelings you have in response to that and the way this has been so helpful to me is it showed me how I often feel dragged down by good things, okay, and uplifted by not so good things. Everything seemed to be kind of, so many things in my life seem to be kind of upside down. So if you take like work, like if you have a good job and it's a job you've always wanted, but three years in, you're like, this, I, I don't like it, but it, nothing's changed. What's going on, God? I used to like it and it's kind of the same thing. Um, and it feels like desolation, not consolation, even though when I ended it, it definitely felt like consolation. Do you know what I mean? So there's this topsy-turvy, kind of upside-down, kind of crazy thing that goes on. And the examine allows you to say to God, what, what's going on? I want it to feel like the consolation again. Why isn't it? What's, is it me? Is it there? You know, just talk to me, God. You keep it really open like that, okay? And doing that for me has really helped. And we can do that in, in we can apply that sort of approach right now to giving and giving to the river, okay? We've seen in our passage that Paul talks about it as a good thing. Jesus says giving is blessed, but does it feel blessed to us, okay? Do we feel blessed when we give? You know, maybe we do, maybe we don't, maybe we're somewhere in the middle like me. Sometimes it feels good, sometimes it doesn't, you know, I'll be honest. But let's just open this up to a kind of examine type approach now. So what I'm going to do as we finish up now is just pray for the Holy Spirit to be here, um, God's presence, and I'm just going to ask him to start or at least deepen a conversation with each one of you internally between you and God about this whole area of giving. And as I do that, as I pray, just say to God, um, talk to him like in you, you know, like silently. This is what I feel. Just be honest with him and ask him for a pathway for it to feel blessed. Okay. And This is just the start of the conversation. I don't expect everything to be wrapped up today, okay? Do it for a while.
get into a good place when it comes to giving, but I wanted to start it now with this prayer. So can we do that? All right. So, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this church, the church that you're building. Thank you so much for this mission that you've given us where we get to give the gospel to whoever is pursuing you, and we never have to say to them, oh, but, right? And we just thank you for that wonderful, powerful mission where, you know, everything can happen in someone's life that's good. And Lord, we, we also thank you for what you, for the people you've brought and all the hard work that they've done and the money they've given. We thank you for that. But Lord, we also would ask that your Holy Spirit would come now, that you would initiate or deepen a conversation with you, Jesus, about giving to the river and giving generally. And I would ask that you would just let people here be honest with you and they could see what's going on in their hearts and they could just speak to you over the next few weeks. So in Jesus' name, I just pray that you would come and that would be an exciting conversation and that there would be a path for them to feel like their giving was blessed and they would tangibly feel it, Lord, and they would be excited about it. In your name we pray. We love you, Jesus. Amen.